Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. Jason Roundsville here, as always, with my trusted co-host, Dylan Ray. And uh, we have, we're trying a new format for you today. Hope you love it. Uh, we have special guests, Gus and Jimmy. Gus, always a pleasure to visit with you, man. How are you? That's not what you said when we were at the ATA show. <laughs> You're right. That's not what I said. I was being pushed out. You tried to hit me with that 5'8 <clears throat> requirement to sit at the table. I had to sit at the yeah. side table, but I, weasel, I weaseled my way in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you, you weaseled your way into the big table. I'm not sure how that happened, but, you know. <laughs> it's like I slithered under the table and just snuck up by, you know, <laughs> under the booth, you know, next to Mike. I, that was uh, that was good times, so, though, man. It is always, Gus, it is always fun uh, getting to spend some time with you. We've got to, to share uh, uh, some meals and, and even a turkey camp. And, man, it is always, always a pleasure. Yeah, it's great seeing you guys. It was great. Uh, well, Dylan, I I didn't meet you before. Have I met you before, Dylan? No, you, that was the first. That camp. was the first time. You there. First time, yeah. First time, right? No, it was cool. It was a cool night. Great night. Good people. Good company. Good food. Awesome time. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds like you've got some exciting stuff coming up. And so, I definitely, you know, a lot of a lot of our folks are going to recognize you from from. Uh, Obviously, a TV show and and just being in the industry, but I know you got a program that you sound excited about, 
and I want to hear all about this. Well, the, the fit. here's what happened. You know, I've been in, this is my 12th season with Live the Wildlife. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to do something more from the Northeast and guys who I grew up with. Look, I own a construction company for 40 years. And uh, I've been doing the TV thing in that. That doesn't require as much of me anymore. The TV show takes a lot of time. But I always, you know, meet people here who are hunters. Um, but they never get to experience some of the things that I've done. I, I kind of like to go outside the box, not necessarily being well-versed in some of the things I do, but I'm always willing to give it a shot. Some of these adventure hunts uh, were new to me, especially self-guided. When you start doing self-guided stuff, it's uh, it tests you, and I think that's what this whole thing is about for me. It's never been about uh, you know scoring the biggest animal, although that's what the whole organization it, – it's not what the organization is about. I take that back. That's part of it. But um, I always wanted to uh, just challenge myself. So what I started doing was coming up with hanging out with guys in bars or restaurants, guys, construction guys I know, bikers, guys, guys I know, who, you know, they, I'll be honest, they'll punch you right in the face. They, they're not the kind of guys you want to mess with. But getting them out of the wilderness, out of their element, these guys are like, you know, they get nervous. They get nervous in the dark. And I'm looking at the guy, the guy's six five. You know, you're 270 pounds. Like, what do you, What could you possibly be afraid of, you know? And um, it's just getting people outside their element and, and getting that on camera. Well, even like there was a time where I brought an, an anti, not an anti, take that back, a non-hunter. Guy never hunted before. Um, and got him in and seeing what we do and, and, and harvesting an animal, killing an animal. Okay. Like somebody have a problem with the word harvesting, but that's the way I look at it. And then processing the field and eating it. And as he's eating the food, you know, I'm talking to him. And I just said, um, you know, it was pretty sad. You know, you watch that animal die. And he was kind of a little bummed out about it. He's running camera for me, actually. And he felt a little bummed out. And I said, but let me ask you a question. Would you throw a piece of that meat in the garbage? And he looked at me and I said, how many people throw away a half a hamburger? Don't even think about where it came from. You watch that animal die. And you're feeling sad right now. But, you know, understand how this works. For you to eat, something has to die. If you eat meat, something has to die. Just the way it is. If you eat, and, if you eat and, broccoli, something has to die. Sure. You're right. Right. But when you see an animal, it's a little sadder than a stalk of broccoli. I, this person, person, for me, maybe not for you. Maybe you get a tear as you cut that broccoli. I don't know. But for me, you know, I'm not, I'm not much, you know, I've, I've taken a lot of animals, um, I don't get any pleasure in watching something die. I'll just be honest with you. It's this whole thing for me. That's why the Pope and Young organization is so important for me. It's just the ethics and what we do uh, all the time. Right. Put in. But anyway, when you start, even with an ant, uh, someone who doesn't hunt, anti-hunters, let's forget it. You're never going to get those people to your side. But never. there's a lot of people in the middle. And as stewards of what we do, we need to kind of... Um, you know, bring them along, maybe educate them. You know, it's really easier to say we have a right to do this and, and you know, screw you. We don't need to talk to, you know, explain my, myself to you. But right. if you educate people, you're going to bring so many more people over to understanding what we do. They might never do it, but just understanding it. That's how I felt. Yeah. You know, who else is good about that is uh, Robbie Kroger with Blood Origins. That's his entire platform is talking to the general public, the non-hunting public about what we do 
and why we do it and why it's important for them that we're doing it. And it's it's a good message to get out there because you we do it as hunters. Sometimes we we forget. Yeah, you know you you're about the anti-hunter, and like you say, you're never going to reach those people because they just they don't they don't think the way we think. They don't think logically, and so um, you think everybody who doesn't hunts like that, but it's not a, a lot of our community doesn't hunt, but they're not against it. They just don't personally do it. And so it's if we can get to those folks and let them understand why it's important and, and what it brings to us and the camaraderie and the connections that you build through the hunting community. You know, I look at guys that I've been friends with for, you know, 30 years, and most of it is, is connected to the outdoors, hunting and fishing and sure. And it's, those are just the, the connections that you tend to hold, hold on to. They're, they're very strong, in, at least in my experience. I took my uh, my oldest out um, late season bow hunting with me, and on the way there, I was explaining to her, I'm like, well, I've already I've already killed my buck. Kansas is a one-buck state. I'm like, so we can only shoot does. And she started asking me why, and I'm like, well, you know, um, our state, uh, our conservation agencies will look and see how many animals need to be taken, and... And we got into this really deep conversation for a 10-year-old, but but it came down to, you know, me teaching her what it means. Like, if we want more deer, we got to kill deer. Like, uh, otherwise, the whole herd will, will go away. And it's like a light bulb clicked on her. And, and I just told her, I'm like, well, sweetheart, could 50 people live in our house? And she said, no. And I said, well, why not? And she said, well, there wouldn't be enough space for them to live. There wouldn't be enough food. There wouldn't be enough, you know, baths or showers. And, and I said, same for deer. And... uh it just crossed my mind. I'm like, how many kids grow up never hearing that? And so they think hunters are bad people. And if we could just, you know, I mean, obviously I can't teach every 10 year old that, but it just, it just shocked me because I'm like, it's so simple once they hear it, but so many 10 year olds don't ever get to hear that. And so they grow up, you know, with just a negative mindset about hunting. And then the first time they really hear it explained, they're like, oh, oh yeah, you're not bad. Okay. I get it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Robbie does a fantastic job of that. Yeah. I think that some of the things that, uh, this COVID, you know, pandemic, um, changed a lot of people's perspective on, you know, how many people have come to me who didn't hunt. So I want to learn how to hunt. I don't know if I'll ever use it cause, but we have no meat on our shelves here. And they were like, I, I don't know what to do. I've never done this. And I'm going, you know, it, I, I'm not trying to tell, convince people to hunt. You know, that's, that's not what I'm here to do, but what I'm trying to do is you should know how, how to survive, how to provide for yourself. It blows me away. I mean, I live in New York. I grew up in New York city. So I lived, I moved out to the, you know, suburb, not suburbs, it's upstate New York. And now I live in Pennsylvania and, um, so so New York city, so standard hunter recruitment area. Right. Well, but the thing is, you know, when you look at people like uh, when we had the hurricane Sandy, there was no food, no provision. They had nothing. They were diving in dumpsters to get food because the food wasn't delivered to the supermarket. And I just think that's a, the wrong way to live your life. And, well, with this pandemic, a lot of people started realizing, hey, I'm not prepared for this. And my family or, you know, my parents or whatever never passed the, those traditions down. Somewhere it was lost. And uh, I think it's important that people at least know how to do it. Whether they want to or not is not not important. It's really if they uh, should know at least have the knowledge of how to hunt. 
Yeah, and, and for those folks that may be listening, if we have anybody listening that doesn't hunt, um, maybe while you were wondering where your meat was coming from, most of our community was actually buying an extra freezer during yeah. that time. And so I, don't, I donated a lot of meat during the pandemic, a lot of venison yeah. to people who didn't have it, you know, guys who have never hunted before. So, uh, um, and, and that's a good, I don't say a recruitment tool, but a good um, stone, stepping stone for people to see what we do and, and why we do it. So my favorite part, Gus, is when somebody comments and say, Hey, do you have any meat? And I'm like, wait a second, pre COVID, you didn't like wild game, but now there's no beef on the shelf. You're okay with it. And, uh, and they right. changed pretty quickly when right. they didn't have any meat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and you know, look, you don't know what's going to happen. Things can always go south. I mean, you know, you should just be prepared. I just That's the thing that bothers me more than anything is that people just weren't prepared for any. If they can't buy the uh, food in a grocery store, they're shot. They can't do anything on their own. Well, that's where meat comes from. Apparently you didn't yep. know that. So. Right. I, uh, one of my first jobs when I was in high school is I worked actually at a slaughterhouse and it's not a job that I enjoyed, but it was, uh, it was an eye opener for me. I know where, I know where my food comes from. So, yeah, it's, that's, yeah, that's the thing too, that, you know, people have a, uh, you know, they're opposed to wild game, but it's being cooked in more and more restaurants and it's, I think it's a being a little more normalized than, than it was in the past. Um, I've got friends who are amazing chefs and they cook some wild game dishes that'll blow you away. Yeah. And I think more and more, I, I funny thing, I, a business partner for 40 years in my construction company. And, uh, I had short a, uh, shot of bison and, um, brought the meat home. I said, Hey man, would you like a couple of steaks? No, no, no. You know, wild game for him. You know, that's not for him. Well, he was in Manhattan in a restaurant and he, spent a fortune on on bison steaks <laughs> you had bison left and i'm like dude it's now i gave out what i had and that's it you know and he's like damn i said i told you you should have tried it because yeah. once he ate that restaurant it kind of made it normal like wow i could that you know gus is not so strange that he's killed a bison and now he's eating it i just had it in a restaurant spent 75 dollars for the entree that's crazy right. you know so you know, yeah, I, I totally uh, I understand the uh, the dynamic of people not understanding wild game or not liking what saying they don't like wild game until they tried it. Yeah, yeah. See, for me, man, I grew up on it. If we didn't have wild game, I guess I guess Grandpa raised beef, but you know, we lived on the wild game. If we if we didn't have have a good deer season, man, we'd have to eat, you know salmon patties all year. And I'm not a big fish guy, so. Well, that- that's what got me into hunting was um, I tried venison. I was 31 years old, you know, out of New York. I never, you know, we played ball. I didn't, you know, I, I played a lot of, you know, sports. I didn't really, I never hunted. And when I tasted it, man, something clicked in my brain. Like, so I could learn to do this. I could learn to harvest my own food. I'm not much as of a gardener. I don't really enjoy it as much as some people do but this made sense to me right. so i can learn to shoot a bow and arrow go in the woods and harvest my own food like that's so liberating to me that you you could do that and look i'll be honest with you a beef steak is still one of my preferences i i love a beef steak oh, yeah. but to be able to wild game is and 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 to be have the ability to go harvest your own food that's that was the appealing thing to me 
So, so at thirty, at thirty, you were, you were not a hunter, and then you tried Wild Dave, and you said, "Hey, I'm just going to go do this." And I, I, I thought it was. I, I learned from an old school guy. He was an old German guy who, um, you know, went through some rough times in Nazi Germany and whatever. Um, but really learned to appreciate everything and and just we were kind of bonded he became my dad had died when i was young both my parents did and i he kind of became that second father so i would listen to his hunting stories and i never did it and then so i had that mentorship i had somebody there willing to teach me i mean he probably knocked you know six seven years off my hunting just their stories and the things he related to me that how many mistakes i would have made if he wasn't there to guide me and try to talk me through these and I, it just progressed things a lot quicker. And then when you take your first animal, it's, um, you know, it's an honor for these guys. Like, like his, his, where he's from, it's, you know, harvesting an animal is no joke. It's a serious thing. And, uh, just the whole, that whole part of it, uh, was intriguing to me. And that's really why I started getting into it. And then of course, success helps. If you start having success yeah. early, man, it's like the first time you hit a golf ball. Good. You know, you're like, I could do this, man. I want to play, you know? And the first time you do take an animal, you start getting that confidence that, Hey, I do have the ability to do this. And, uh, so to me, uh, I don't know. And the bow was the way to go anyway, for me, that was, that was my weapon. Wow. That's great. So that's, uh, Hopefully, he realizes what he started a few years ago when he got you in hunting. Yeah, you know, we, we actually did a bunch of hunts together. I He was 86. I took him on his last bow hunt in uh, uh, Wyoming. Um, and I thought, you know, he had ripped something happened to his shoulder. He couldn't pull. I said, if you can pull your bow back, I'm taking care of everything. Plane ticket, everything, if you go with us. And he did, and we videoed it, and we had a show with it, and it was really, really cool to – 86 years old. I mean, I'll take that tomorrow oh, and yeah. I'll sign up for that one. You know? So he, he, he died when he was 90, but what a full life, man. So yeah, it was cool. He passed that on to me. Wow. Outstanding. Yeah. And it's, it's so neat to hear that from folks who, who didn't grow up with it. Cause for me, I, it was just, I've never known anything other than, than that. You know, I was born in August and September. I was at deer camp. It's just how it was. I mean, that's, I've never known any other way. So for somebody to pick it up at 30, it's not the easiest hobby to, to get. I mean, you start looking at, mm, I think I need a new hobby at 31. You know, play golf, you need, you need a bag of clubs and a couple of balls. I mean, there's just, right. you know, there's a lot easier hobbies to pick up. But. Yeah, no, well, you know what it was, too, is you start getting old. I mean, I used to play a lot of organized ball, even after school and all that stuff and, and college I went. So you start realizing you, you're getting too old to run with guys who are 22 when you're 30, you know, it's, just, it's not the same anymore, you know? So I said, okay, it's time to put that away. And, uh, I guess there were other options, but, um, I li I had a log home up by where this guy lives. So to me, spending time in his game room and he used to make homemade shops. So it's, it was killer. Fantastic. Good. I mean, and just hearing the stories just became so, you know, like, and there's a romance to this, man. I I'm sorry. I go to, I've been to Alaska probably 10 times now and I did probably, I don't know, five or six self-guided and it wasn't about the animal, man. I, I gotta be honest. I got to see places that I would have never seen met people. I would have never met. Yeah. You know, and just, 
there was no reason to go there. There is no reason to go there unless you're hunting. Yeah. There's nothing there. It's just and it's a you know drop camp and you're there and you're setting up your tents and just met some of the coolest people and had some of the best experiences because of hunting. Yeah. There's nothing there and there's everything there. Yeah. You know? Right. I meant no nothing for to, to attract the uh the yeah. public. It's funny when you see people who um even go to Alaska and are walking along the, you know, roped off path basically and seeing some wildlife and going, yeah. Oh, that I said, No man, you know, Alaska has to scare you. Otherwise, you're not really in Alaska. Yeah. There's got to be a point where, like, wow, I hope I can handle this storm. And get. we hope we make it through this. You know, I've had a few of those. Yeah. So is that your spot? If there's one spot you can hunt for the rest of rest of the day. Is... Yeah, you know, man, I'm getting old, bro. So there's still things I enjoy doing. I think more taking people into the wilderness now is, is better for me. But... I, I wish I was younger and could, uh, you know, I wish I was, you know, Dylan's age. Look at the guy. I mean, God, you know, I look, I, that would be the place to be then from that, his age on. You know, I didn't get to Alaska until I was in my 50s. So from 50 to 63 was a, you know, it was cool, but it's not this. I, I'm not the same guy I was at 25. Yeah. If I was that, it would have been insane. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't run the mountains the way some of the guys I'm with can because they're young. Yeah. Um, but, it shouldn't be about that. To me, it's always been um, about challenging myself. Yeah. I don't care if it's just slow and steady getting up that mountain. That's what you're going to do. But I would have always loved to, when I was in my prime shape, been able to do that. I thought it would have been cool. But, yeah, just just still love Alaska. But I tell you the truth, this COVID thing with the flights and this. I went to Kotzebue this last trip. We were out in Kotzebue. I brought a cameraman who's never hunted. And I brought a guy from New York who's never been to Alaska. And uh, we had a couple of storms and it was a, it was a tough hunt, but um, everybody, you know, you get into Kotzebue, people wearing masks and this COVID, it just put a damper on yeah. so many of the things we used to do that were, were cool, you know? Yeah. I'd say COVID put a damper on a lot of things that, that we used to do that were cool. So. Yeah. We have some, some, uh, you know, I, I, Spent to do a tent can every year up in the Adirondacks in New York, and that's it's a wilderness primitive area. No motorized vehicles, don't nothing, no chainsaws, nothing like that. Uh, you got to hike in on your back. I think it's cool. It's four hours for me, and that is fine because I could drive there, get out of my truck, go up the mountain. I, I COVID doesn't exist in that yeah. world. Yeah. Uh, but when you're flying places, you know, and you're dealing with restaurants and going through airports, obviously you see all those things, and that's the only thing that kind of puts the damper. Or, a little bit, you know, just tinges that glow of Alaska. It's like, man, I'm not, I don't really want to hassle with these airports again for that many days, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and uh, as we're talking about it last week, we were all at ATA and man, everybody got hit. You're one of the few people that didn't get sick after ATA. So I know a lot of our friends there and partners got it. I've, I've had it for the last week, so. It's, did you get COVID or was it just a sick like a cold? No, I had COVID. I think it was the yeah. the newest strain, in the yeah. Omicron. So, yeah, I have that. I have this tiger blood that you know, yeah. like me and Charlie Sheehan tiger blood. <laughs> but I didn't want to test it, so there was only a certain amount of hours I could be there before I had to leave, get on the road because it, you know. No, I'm serious. I seen it and I was like, man. It's cool to hang out with your friends, but they're really sick, and this is like time to go, man. 
Yeah, you, oh, yeah, I hit the road. You could tell by the end of that show that people had 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 enough. I mean, they, we were walking around Sunday and everybody was dragging, and it was it was one of those things where I think a lot of folks got sick. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear you. Sad though, because you know, used to be the ATA was like I said, like a Super Bowl. I remember years when we first started going, it was like who's who was there and just so many cool people to meet and so many new products. And, um, it was just great getting everybody together. You know, it's kind of like the, uh, the Pope and young conventions. Yeah. I think those are like-minded people sharing that experience. It's great to be in a place where everybody's, you know, on, has the same mindset. Yeah. I was really excited. Um, you know, our convention this year, we moved it from April into July Nevada in Reno and we kind of hit the perfect timing because our original date not everything was 100% open and then all of a sudden it opened up we had our event which went you know better than we had hoped for and then afterwards it kind of things started started tightening down a little bit and and we didn't have yeah, we had 800 people there, and we just didn't have anybody that I heard of. I haven't heard of one person that got sick at our convention. So we really were pretty fortunate. And then when you look at some of these shows lately, um, you know, a lot of folks are getting sick. And I don't know if it's the, sure, the sure. variant. I can't keep up with it all. But uh, it's ours just happened to, to luck out and, and go very well for us. Cool. But... And then we're going back to Reno in 23. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you at that one. Yeah, I was away on this last one. but And it was funny because uh, a friend of mine who shot that new world record, Black Bear, Jeff Milio, was um, he was there with his bear. And I wanted to be there for him, but I was going to be away, so I couldn't do it. Because when you change the dates, it kind of screwed everything yeah. up for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, 23, I'll be there. Awesome. Yeah. I'll be there. So you knew, you, you know the guy that shot that? New New World then. Yeah, yeah, Jeff and I we turkey hunt together. Yeah, I've been, I was down last year turkey hunting with him. It was yeah. cool because I had a surgery, which was kind of weird because I had uh, I tore the tricep muscle. I was telling you guys at ATA off off the bone and um, wind up tearing it a second time because I didn't listen and didn't <laughs> lay low. I kind of went hunting uh, anyway. Not, not Gus, and it was how'd you tear it the second time? I'm not going to get into it, but I tore it the second. <laughs> Bear hunting, so we'll just leave it there. It was like we'll, we'll just make a smoke screen on that. Never mind what happened. But um, we had a great conversation turkey hunting this year, um, Jason, and I thought that uh, it was it was interesting. We had all those everybody sitting around and kind of talked about the co- crossbow, compound bow, traditional archery, just the whole uh, where where the industry is headed. And uh, I just thought that was a really cool situation because I used a crossbow this year for a bear because I couldn't shoot a bow. I was in a cast Um, and it worked and it was, uh, I got to be honest. It's, I wouldn't say it's, yeah, I'm going to say it wasn't archery. It was, um, it was, it was cool, but it was like, you know, not the same, but I'm, I don't know where we stand on this. In other words, I understand where the where the organization stands on it. I totally get it, and it's true. It is not archery equipment, but how do we bring more people into what we do? And I really was 
you know, intrigued listening to all the different people who were at sitting around that, that living room yeah. talking about the crossbows. Um, I, I, you know, obviously people haven't heard it and I don't know if you discuss it on these podcasts, but it's just kind of a, it's an interesting dynamic. Do we bring more people in because of that? Um, or do we, you know, I don't know. I don't know really. What is the, what is the club's uh, thought process on this? You know, uh, the club's position is that we're, we're pro hunting. We're for hunting. Um, but our personal stand is that crossbows are not archery equipment and do not right. belong in archery seasons. And so for yes. me, that's a really, really easy. Um, uh, I'm in Oregon. That's exactly what our rules say. If you want to use a crossbow, you can go use a crossbow with the regular rifle season. No problem. But you cannot, sure. cannot use one during archery season. And, um, you know, I understand the premise. It's, it's definitely a different type of weapon. I mean, you know, there aren't a lot of, uh, you know, we'll say 10 year olds, it can go out and pick up a compound bow that meets legal hunting requirements and be proficient with it in mm-hmm. five minutes of shooting. But you can do that with a crossbow, you know? And, and so there's, there's things. And like you said, that's what gets people in is it's it's easy you know hey oh it, but but i but i do take one thing it's not now i'm not defending crossbows right. i'm just trying to say people think it's a it's got a scope so i could just shoot it no you study spend some time you're gonna have more wounded animals if you don't spend time with this weapon it's a yes. still a weapon and i and that's just one i try to dispel like oh it's got a scope on it okay have you shot from a tree with that crossbow if not, I think you should put some time in, some practice, be, only because it's, it's the illusion that it's so simple, but it's not. Um, but that's not defending using it during archery season. I'm just saying it's weird to me because the state of New Jersey allows uh, crossbow. The state of New York does not. In New York has its own special little pockets of when you can use it. Um, I just moved to Pennsylvania. I didn't hunt here last year, but I probably will. Um, and I don't really know what their stance was. I didn't really look into it, what, how they feel about crossbows. But it's just kind of strange when you when you see some states allowing it, like uh, Ohio allows it. Uh, you know, a few other states that I hunt in allow crossbow during archery season. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I think that, you know, it is not definitely not archery equipment. Yeah, and it's, it's I think a lot. Out of its perspective, you know, if, if you've got a 10-year-old you're trying to get out in the woods and you want to give them an opportunity during during archery season, you know, maybe this, this is a good tool. But, you know, if, if you're our age and, and you have the ability, you know, your, your arm was standing, you know, if you have the ability to do it, you know, the real way, then, you know, there's definitely a difference when you're sitting in a tree you know, the buck I shot in Wisconsin this year. Okay, I I was, I, I literally looked down and I've got a doe just pegging me at, you know, 15 yards. She didn't know what I was, but she knew right. something was, was not 100%. And so all of a sudden right. I look behind, I've got, okay, 40 yards behind her is this buck. And, and you can expect he's going to, you know, come in a, a similar line. Well, now all of a sudden I've got to get my bow from off of this limb over here all the way around from, from the right all the way around to the left, 
get my release on and draw it all without being seen. You know, with a crossbow, you just had that on your lap. You just been like, oh, plunk, game over. It's it's there are differences, and, and you know, Pope and Young has taken some heat over the years about our stance against crossbows. And a couple of things that I'll say to that. The first one is that, you know, with the new Bolt and Coral Records organization, you know, crossbows have now self-identified that they're a completely different weapon type. They've created their own right. book. It's, you know, based largely on the BNC Pope and Young format. But, um, yeah, and that's great. In fact, we're, you know, yep. we're, we hope they're successful. We want them to be successful because we're all part of the hunting community. But they've identified that, that crossbows are a different, you know, classification of weapon, which is fine. Right. And then for me personally, I look at it, you know, when I'm in the Midwest, it blows my mind because there's places you can hunt for like four months. And some of these places you can go shoot a buck every day or you can shoot six over the course of the season. And where I'm at, out here, when I want to go mule deer hunting, there's places that it's, it could take 15, 18 years to draw one tag for one opportunity to hunt one buck for, you know, three weeks. And so I look at it and I see, I can understand both sides. I can see, hey, you know what, if we're not careful about you know, some of the things that we do, and, you know, you wouldn't want to let rifle hunters hunt in archery season because then they'd have to shorten the archery season because the take would be too high. Sure. And so I, I, I understand carrying capacity. I understand, you know, the harvest statistics of, you know, it's days of field versus success rates. Calculate how much time you get to spend in the field a lot of bow hunters, that's their thing, is they just want to be outside. They want to be in the field with an opportunity. It's not as much about the, the harvest or the kill. And so it's, I can see both sides where, where it's, uh, there's some, some gray in, in the areas there. Yeah, well, I, I look at it just, just, First of all, like I said, it's a weapon. So what bothers me about the crossbow is people don't put the time in shooting it to familiarize themselves with this weapon. I mean, we shoot our bows uh, pretty much every day. I shoot, you know, it, it, it's at least five, six times a week. And you think about, like, you become one with that weapon. You know what it can do. You know what your capabilities are. You know what the weapon's capabilities are. Um, and and then you take that into the field with you. What bothers me with the crossbow is people are going out that thinking that, well, it's got a scope. It's all cool. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if they've sighted it in, in, in if they have. They don't know the capability at 40 or 60 yards. And they're saying they're seeing things where it shoots 100 yards. But a short bolt like that loses so much momentum. It's not going to have the same kinetic energy at that distance as even a, a, a good, strong compound at 80 or 90 pounds. Like, I used to shoot a 90-pound bow, and it would, it would crush stuff at 90, 100 yards. I mean, I've killed animals at it. I know... You know, it's kind of, I don't know, some people say unethical, but I practiced it every day. And I look at it and I see the crossbow and they, well, they're showing us where it shoots at 100 yards. Yes, it'll hit a target at 100 yards, but will it kill an animal? And 
Is that ethical for you? I'm not saying the crossbow can't do it and, and you couldn't do it. But have you practiced that enough to take that in the field? It, it's almost sad because you're talking about a 10-year-old kid. And I'm like, this whole society has turned into instant gratification. So, yeah, it would be really cool. It would be really cool if they picked up a, a, a compound bow or a traditional archery and started learning to shoot and found the joy in that and put the time in. But it's almost like the crossbow seems in some people's mind, just the easy fix. Yeah. Well, I could pick this bow up, buy this thing. It's very expensive. I could go in the field with it, and I'm a hunter. Yeah. Well, you're not. You know, you're, you're not putting the time in. But, you know, that's society today, man. Nobody puts the time in anymore. It's rare, it's rare to find a young person who wants to put the time in to learn something. There are kids. I'm not saying there's not. But the, the majority don't. You know, and it's it's sad, I guess, is what I'm yeah. getting at. Well, it's that, that video game mentality. Oh, that game's over. Start a new one right now. You know, versus when you're hunting, you, you don't get to go again this year. You're done for the year. Or, you know, in some cases in the West, you're, you're done for 14 years before you get it back into that spot. Sure. Sure. No, I hear, hear you. Yeah, yeah. It's a... Uh... It's just strange. You just don't know where things are headed. I guess that's what a lot of things in society today, we just don't know where things are headed. And, uh, you know, I just want to keep the door open to have more people hunting, get more people in the field. The more people that understand what we do, the better chances we are of preserving what we have. Um, but, and I don't know if crossbows are the way to do it or not do it, but I think things that like, you know, if you try to get more people to come to the conventions and try to get more people, you know, personally involved, we do a, like a, some youth mentoring stuff. We like a youth turkey hunt. And I think we had 62 or 52 teams, teams wow. in New York, up by, um, up in the Albany area of New York. And, uh, I mean, it was awesome. I was out there, you know, we giving stuff away, big, big event. And that's rare to have that many kids, young people involved in it. So I think things like that, mentoring is important and, and just passing this tradition on. Yeah, I, I think mentoring, if there's one thing that I hear across the board, whether it's hunting, whether it's even with Pope and Young, you know, when you see the folks that are really involved in Pope and Young, a number of them had the mentor. You know, they had either somebody to show them the ropes, kind of like, when you got started hunting, you had somebody that kind of showed you the ropes. Same thing with PNY or hunting in general. Is either there's somebody that, that kind of gets you hooked in a little bit, or you've got you know a buddy or some buddies that all want to go do it, and you have that camaraderie, and and you kind of do it together. You mentor each other, and and I think that's that's something. You know, as a long time hunter, when you're when you're out there, we all understand there's a need for more hunters, but we all want them. We don't want them in our spot. <laughs> Do we want more hunters? Yes. I just don't want them right. in the tree next to me or in the back line next well, to me. Well, there's, there's ways of, you know, per, you know, private land is one thing. I do hunt private land. When I do hunt public land, I hunt where people don't go. You know how it is. Three. 300, 300 yards from the truck is where most people are going to go. You're going to, it's going to require a little bit more effort of you hiking in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's cool. Tell us about the. Oh, so you want to hear? Yeah. So we, we started, um, look, we ran it on Sportsman Channel last year, first and second quarter. Um, 
I wasn't reaching the people I wanted to reach. And I always think like, I look at myself and I'm like, well, I want to relate to people who talk like me. How do I get people involved? I, I might not be that appealing to people in, you know, the Southwest or the Midwest or wherever. Uh, but I am appealing to people here in the Northeast because they talk like me and they act like me and they all feel the same way I do. So I think that um, I wanted a, a little more targeted than the network was giving me. So we decided to put episodes out on YouTube. Now, I'm still on Live the Wildlife, still on. We're actually on Pursuit now at uh, on Sunday nights at 8 o'clock. And then third and fourth quarter, we start new shows on, on Sportsman Channel. So we're on both networks just to reach a different dynamic. I thought, you know, it would be the same type of people, but it's not. They're totally different crowds of people, which is great. Uh, but we really wanted to get to YouTube because I want to be able to target the people here in the Northeast. I figure if I get that following behind me, I'm going to, you know, at least people see one of their own. It's like a guy from your hometown making it, you know, in the pros somewhere, you know, everybody follows him. I kind of feel not that I'm a pro. That came out wrong. What I'm saying is at least I'm a guy from the neighborhood who's doing this, you know, um, the way I saw it, you know, and I look at it and I go, well, here's the first thing you got to think about. You guys know me. Well, Dylan, you just met me, but Jason, you, you know, you picture a guy like me going to, go to Alaska with a boat to hunt a brown bear. I mean, we, come on, this guy's going to get eaten. We know what's going to happen. Look at this New York guy. Point is, you know, that was the cool dynamic for me because the minute that guys, because like now Brown Bear, you have to hunt with a with a guide, and and you know I had an outfitter enough. They hear a guy from New York is coming with a bow, so right away, you know, the alarms were going off. Then they hear it's a television guy with a bow. Forget it, man. It was like they did did not want to know. Like, oh man, everybody's loading their weapons. They're like, this is going to be a disaster. So it's great to be able to prove people wrong, or at least. Have them look at you in a different light than what they uh, they uh, thought you were going to be before you got there. You know what I'm saying? And where, where can so people find it? It's on YouTube. Tell us where to find it. Well, it's it's called uh, Fish Out of Brooklyn. Um, that's my YouTube channel, okay. and we, we we probably I know we have a bunch of episodes up, but we first we ran the first two new episodes now. So they started uh, two weeks ago, and then we like every uh, Thursday at six o'clock. We put up a new episode. Nice. So this one is uh, Greenland. Actually, this is Mike Orpalo and I in Greenland. Now, it's it's like almost you know we, I'm at Mike's office in Syracuse and we're we're how, it, it kind of gives a little backstory on how we met. Um, shows more of the travel, more of the camaraderie, more of the um, adventure than the actual hunt. Where Live the Wildlife is a, a hunting show. You know, we're going to show you the hunt. This is going to show you a little, a few other things. I'm trying to reach a different audience, or at least if you're watching it, and I don't know if your wives hunt, or I don't know if you guys are married or whatever, but my point is, if you're sitting there with somebody who doesn't hunt, I don't want to turn that person off. Yes, we're going to kill an animal on the show, and we're probably going to eat it and show it, but I want to appeal to a different, a little broader audience yeah. than the normal, what I'm doing live the wildlife where it's a hunting audience. You know, they want to see the shot. They want to see the impact shot. Everybody's cool with that, but I'm trying to show a different side of it and just, you know, kind of what it means to me. And it's really, it's not about the impact shot, dude. It's just not right. for it's me. It's not the lifestyle. I, it, and, the and it's the way I look at it. I start my training. I start my practicing. I do all the things in preparation, you know, planning the hunt, booking all your, you know, everything that needs to be done. I get there. I'm on the hunt. 
And, you know, just to close the circle is killing the animal. But it's not what, you know, 90% of that circle had nothing to do with killing the animal. It's just the preparation for that moment. Yeah. And, and that, it can also be cool if you, if you didn't get it because you want to come back and do it again. You, you know what I'm saying? It's, I, I just think sometimes it gets so lost on the grip and grin of like, hey, man, look what I did. That makes me a great hunter. But how was the journey to get to that? Dude, I, we just had a hunt in, Car- uh, in, in Alaska, caribou. So two storms up there with a cameraman that's never hunted. Beautiful videographer. We got some gorgeous stuff. There was so much rain that they couldn't get us into half the areas. So they finally got us out. The place was packed as far as the, the hangar, just with people trying to get out in the field. It's a self-guided hunt. So we get out, pitch our tents, get our camp set up. We're all cool. So we hunted for eight days and um, never saw a caribou. So we're a day late getting out. But one of the guys I was with had his sat phone. He's calling because he wants to get home. So finally they said, all right, look, be up where we were landing, that gravel strip up top. Um, and we'll pick you up 10 o'clock tomorrow. So wake everybody up in the dark. We pack up the tents. We get up there. We get everything laid out. We're there before 10. We're laying on our packs, and here comes a caribou. Good caribou. Shoot a caribou. Like a big caribou. So we're videoing them, and I got my bow. So there's just no way of me crossing this tundra, this flat area with the bow. But he's never shot a caribou. And I I look at the guy. I said, Bill, you know, dude, it's a good caribou. You got your rifle right there. It's like. What do you want to do? And he looked at me and he said, you know, we hunted for eight days and we didn't, he fooled us. Or, right. you know, he got, he doesn't deserve to die. And it was so weird hearing that because that's how I feel about it. He won. That's just it. So we, we videoed him. <clears throat> the cameraman actually, um, like I said, never hunted, but he tries to like this spiritual connection with the animal. He's hitting me with all this, but it was so cool not to kill it. I know we were supposed to kill it. It would have been great to take all that meat home. We, we, it was the easiest packing job ever. We were 200 yards from where our plane was coming. This would have been a joke to get it out. But he passed on it, and I was just like, wow. That, like, that meant something to me. Yeah. It's just how I, how I perceived the whole thing. It wasn't about us grabbing the caribou going, look, we're the greatest hunters. And, you know, TV shows are known to do that. Like, hey, look what we did. We got them last minute. Yeah. Like, you know, but I think it's more about that he he eluded us. That yeah. caribou, there wasn't a, you know, the migration never came through the valley we were in or just, you know, just never did. So we didn't get a caribou. But I still think it's a great show. And it said a lot about the guy I was with because he could have taken it. And, and it was, it was a cool, cool trip. But I think that's what this show fish out of Brooklyn is more about is, is not so much killing the animal as the journey. Yeah. I didn't need experience. It wasn't quite like that. Cause I don't have the self control that he had, but uh, right after elk season, you know, I broke down camp and then, and the day after the season was was over, I loaded everything up, and I was headed back home. And I had just pulled out onto uh, onto the the uh, blacktop from the gravel, right. and I'm headed down the road at you know 60 miles an hour. And I look over, and here's this magnificent six point bull. This is the one that you chase the whole season. This is the one you hope to find, and he's just over in this wow. little opening on the side of the road 
you know, 40 yards off the side of the road, just kind of looking at right. all magnificent and stellar. And then he kind of trots off into the woods. And I'm like, that, I said, thank you. And I said, well played. I'll see you next year. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 you know, it means different things to different people. Yeah. But, well, you know, I, uh, I think people don't understand. You know, you mentioned it, you know, it's, it's, it's planning flights and organizing gear. Right. You know, I, I think for hunting and fishing, a lot of this outdoor stuff, I don't think people realize the amount of preparation and thought and planning that goes into a hunt. Yeah, you're, you're out there for, you know, some of these hunts are three days or eight days, but we spend months right. doing research and looking at maps and looking at, you know, Onyx and all these different things to plan for this hunt and we go through you know you go through your equipment whether it's uh you know running up in the woods for the morning or whether it's an eight-day hunt you're you're going through your equipment making sure you've got exactly let's see do i need rain gear do i need this do i need that you know which boots do i take sure and i think people underestimate the amount of time you spend planning and prepping for every day that you get in the field so I I, right. I know sometimes I forget how much time I spend doing it when I'm not actually. Well, you know what's funny is that it 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 comes down to what it means to you. I mean, I still have these self guided hunts. If you don't bring something, you don't have it. Like there's no store, there's no borrowing it from an outfit. There's nothing. It's you didn't bring it. You don't have you. You go without. Um, the only thing that got me was that you know after eight days we started we had a lot of you know mountain house foods and you know couple other ones that we had peak and and i'm sitting there going to myself wow we're almost out of food we better start rationing food because if a caribou don't come we were counting on eating caribou we were counting he had a rifle i knew that there, he's probably going to be able to put one down and at least we'll have camp meat you know we'll be able to eat while we're there but um yeah the prep that goes into some of these hunts is but that's the cool part about it and it's got to mean something to you if, if you don't really want to do that just go to an outfitter as everything prepared for you uh, most 